Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we start a new book. And I have to say, you know, I love what's happening here in the church of Corinth. I love it, and there's some things that I don't like. You know, speaking foolishly, I speak as a man. I have a love-hate relationship with this particular letter. You know, because and I, I don't mean hate like, you know, hatred. I mean hate like I just don't like certain things that are happening. You remember when Moses came down the mountain with Joshua and then all of a sudden he gets in the camp. They thought, oh, what's going on here? There's there, there's no, there's noise, there's commotion. And then all of a sudden they get there. What do they see? The golden calf. And it breaks your heart because you're like, guys, what's happening here? And we're going to see instances like this in the church in Corinth. Oh my goodness, church, what is happening? Why is all this carnality in the church? Why is it happening? That's when I say I have this, this love-hate relationship. And I have to stress that I speak carnally. I speak as a man in saying that. It's not that I hate the letter. It's not like I hate what's the, the, the Bible. I don't want to come off that way. But I just hate that. Wait a second. Why is this even an issue in the church? Certain uh, types of carnality, which Paul is going to identify. We're going to touch on. And it's going to be kind of touchy subjects. Touchy, touchy subjects. It kind of speaks of the carnality we see in the church today. I teach out of, you know, Western culture, the United States. And, you know, it's very the Western church and Western culture. It's different. It's a little different. In some ways, a lot different than where you see churches where there's persecution. You know, and, and it's just the distractions we have here in Western culture. The distractions we have, just like in Corinth. The Corinth was like a major, major hub in the in the region, if not the greatest. It was a metropolis. You go to like New York City, small town USA versus New York City. And in New York City, Manhattan, not the state, not not, not, not New York State, but New York, New York City, Manhattan Island, you can cut it with a knife. You can cut the energy in the air with a knife. You get in a cab and you're like, you got to close your eyes when you're in a cab because there's your cab is weaving in and out. Cars are also weaving in and out. You got the bicyclists going like crazy. They're, you know, courier services. They're going like crazy. You get into Wall Street and it's like the business hub, the the center of, you know, the financial universe. And then, you know, you, you leave Wall Street, you go into Central Park. It's all kinds of, this is before COVID, before they shut everything down. But then you see this energy in the, in, in the air and you can feel it. It is palpable. But then you get into small town USA and you're like, man, this town's asleep. Where's commerce in this city? What's happening here? Not to say one is better than the other. I kind of have my preference for like, you know, well, I, you know, certain, I don't know, I, not to get into specifics of, you know, what I prefer, but not to say one is better or one is worse. Because in this metropolis called Corinth, you know what we see? A church. Christians. Beautiful, beautiful Christians, despite some of the carnality we see. I don't like it. I don't like the carnality. But I love how it's captured here in the in, in 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians. You see a difference in the church in 1 Corinthians and a difference in the church in 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church. You know, Paul writes to that. You know, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or, or chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Paul writes to the church, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So they're babies. They haven't grown. 
They haven't grown. They're still babies. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. What is happening to the church here? Why are they milk drinkers? What is it about them not being able to eat spiritual pork chops? The meat, not solid food. Why is it? He, Paul says, you are still not able. In verse 3, he says, for you are still carnal. Carnality. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Human nature. Paul addresses human nature. There's a big difference between human nature and godly nature. Huge difference. Human nature is what you see in the world. You also see it in the church, but to a small degree. Why? Because there's a godly nature. When the man, the old man is reckoned dead, the old woman is reckoned dead. And I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about, you know, kill the old people. I'm not saying, you know, the old kill the old man, kill the old woman. No, I'm talking about you. The old nature. I'm talking about me. The old nature. That are Those are people. For me, that is the guy. For you, that is the guy or that is the girl. You have to reckon that person dead. You, I can't do it for you. Paul can't do it for the church. You can't do it for anybody else. You have to do it for yourself. Reckon the old woman dead, the old man dead. Otherwise, where is the change? Where is the change? Where is the fruit of the Spirit? Or is the fruit that you exemplify, is it of the flesh? It's a choice. I mean, choose. Paul says, I wish I could give you solid food, but I can't. I have to give you milk. I gave you milk when, you know, at the the birth of the church, I gave you milk. And, you know, I have to give you milk even still. The, The letter to the church in Corinth, it's written in about 54 A.D. 54 A.D. And I use the book of Acts as like a quasi timeline. So when you think of 54 A.D., well, in Acts 18, that's when the church was was the birth of the church. And then Paul enters Corinth. He meets with Priscilla and Aquila, also tent makers, a beautiful husband and wife. And Paul meets with them. He enters Corinth. And then they start, you know, he would go into synagogue and he would reason in the synagogue with both Jew and Gentile. And some of them, them, the the Jew and Gentile, they heard, they believed, and they were baptized. But this letter was written in 54 AD, which when Acts 18 happened, that was 51 AD, you know, around, around that time frame, 51 AD. And so for this letter to be written in 54 AD, re, re, 54 AD reveals this three-year window after birth. Acts 18 was like their birth because, you know, Paul would teach the gospel. He preached the gospel, preached the good news. And so you have Christians, the birth of the church. And after three years, what do we see? They're still on milk. Still on milk. Now, time-wise, when you look at around 54 AD, that's, that takes us into around Acts 19, because Paul stayed in that region for a while, in, in Macedonia, in Corinth, and Ephesus, he stayed in that area for a while. And so in Acts 19, you have one of my great, my favorite, favorite verses, which is Acts 19, verse 23, there arose a great commotion about the way. I love that. So this commotion about the way people were still becoming Christians, but this commotion, there was a lot of uh, the Christians were in the crosshairs too. There was a great, great, great commotion about the way. Included in that commotion was Corinth. 
And at the same time, what do you have? Milk drinkers, arrested development. You know, in, in Acts 18, the birth of the church, the very beginning, you have, you know, milk drinkers because they're babies. Baby, milk is beautiful for babies. But then three years later, what about one year later, two years later, three years later, still on milk. That's not good. My pastor in California always used to say, and when I was carnal, when I was lukewarm, when I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church, this is like 25 years ago. I used to hate his words when he would say those. He would say this. He would say, if your position in Christ today is not better than it was yesterday, he said, you are already backslidden. I hated that. Because I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church, I was lukewarm. I hated those words because they were convicting to me. No growth. He hurt my feelings. And praise be to the Lord, because when I grew in Christ, I realized, no, he was just telling me the truth. I was being chastised. And what's so beautiful is like, you know, I, I, you, you see this letter to the church in Corinth, and it reminds me of the church today. Arrested development. A lot of milk drinkers. Not to say that there's meat eaters and that there's not meat eaters. There are certainly meat eaters. But they're few and far between. A lot of milk drinkers. I'm going to look in the conversations in a church. You know, it's like, oh, you know, hey, brother, how you doing? And then all of a sudden, politics, you know, politics, sports, you know, business. Everybody likes to talk TV shows, movies, people, all kinds of different things. But where is the deep conversation about the Lord? And I don't mean deep conversation like, you know, like, uh, you know, just for the sake of conversation, for the sake of edifying one another, praying for one another. Hey, brother, how can I pray for you? Hey, sister, how can I pray for you? What is the Lord doing in your life? Oh, look what the Lord is doing in my life. Not for boasting, but just, you know, the fellowship of the saints. But then at the same time, for deep spiritual growth, understanding of what the Lord is doing in one's life. And maybe even in a fellowship. Because you have the church, the church multitudes, people are coming to Christ. I mean, you, you remember our study in the book of Acts. People are coming to Christ. There are large churches that are forming. I mean, not large like megachurch, but I mean, you know, I mean, Acts 2, thousands came to, the, came, to, came to Christ. But then you get into Acts 20 and you see something a little different. You see a smaller little group of people where Paul is teaching. Remember in Acts 20, he's teaching and teaching and teaching hour one, hour two, hour three, and into the evening. He gets into the evening so much so that people started to fall asleep. One guy fell asleep and fell out the window. And you think, okay, it's done. Let's go home now. You know, the guy's okay. He's gonna. He's living again. You know, God was gracious unto him. Praise be to the Lord. I mean, I can't wait to meet this guy, you know. Like, who was the guy who fell out the window? Where is he? He's like, oh, there he is. Oh, man, you know. I can't wait to meet so many people in Holy Scripture that we read about. And you think, okay, you know, the guy's saved. He, you know, the Lord revived him. And praise be to the Lord. Okay, let's go home. Let's go to sleep now. But no. In Acts 20, you see, Paul kept, they went back in and Paul kept teaching into the morning. Into the morning, he kept teaching. And I don't want to puff up Paul because Paul is the first one to get off that pedestal. Denial of self. But look at the Christians there. Look at those believers in there. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, oh, you know what? You teach too long. Can you just make it 20 minutes? You teach too long. Can you just make it 30? It's okay. If you want to go hardcore, that's okay. Just do it 30 minutes though. 
And if you don't do that, we're probably going to leave. You know, it's like, well, okay, I'll teach, but, you know, I'll stop when, you know, the Holy Spirit says, okay, you know, this is this is what we're going to cover today. And when that's covered, okay, we'll stop. But I have to yield to him. And I'll pray that, you know, you don't mind 30 minutes. But, you know, I have to yield. I have to obey the Lord and teach. But, you know, it's like you look at Acts 20 and you look at the Christians there. It's like, man, who's who can endure an hour? Two hours, three hours, not for the sake of enduring, but to actually like desire to like, look, Paul, tell me more. Paul, tell me more. You see the hunger of this. Yes, in the outskirts, in the towns, in the cities, you have all these Christians. But yet in this particular, in Acts 20, you have this smaller group of people. That little inner, inner circle, so to speak. Inner circle. And it was just nonstop. Paul was just pouring into these guys. Pouring into them. Into the morning. All night long and into the morning. And how beautiful it is that, you know, you have these examples. And that's what I love so much about this deep intimacy that you have. Of course with the Lord, but with other believers. Other believers in Christ to have this deep, deep, deep fellowship. Deep conversations about deep spiritual things. Meat eaters. Milk drinkers are fine for babies. Milk is beautiful for babies. Now, if you're a milk drinker like I used to be, change your way. Change your way. You've been walking with the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you're still on milk? That's not good. Change your way. Whatever it is that's keeping you on, on milk, just like Paul says in you know chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, for you are still carnal, for where, there's, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? If that's you, and you know you're a milk drinker, change your way. I don't say this to hurt you. I don't say this because it's like, ah, you know, look, I'm, I'm mature and you're not. Look how awesome I am. No, not at all. My boasting is in Christ. My boasting is in Him and in Him alone. I say this because I desire you to grow in Christ. Let the, the this letter to the church in Corinth, let it, let it grow us together. And my exhortation is to you to deny whatever it is that's keeping you on milk. Get rid of it. Because it's not an aid to your walk with Christ. Remember, the church in Corinth, it's like a business hub. It's a major, major metropolis. Commerce is happening everywhere everywhere it's like you know small town usa versus you know bright lights big city big city and you can cut it with the cut it with a knife in the air if you ever gotten to like new york city you can feel the energy in the air you can just feel it like uh yeah if you ever go like down south you know where you, like it's uh, the the humidity high 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 humidity that's what it's like in new york city the energy is like that Feel it. And you know what's so beautiful? There's a church there. Christians in Corinth. You could look at Corinth and be like, oh yeah, you know, that's just a crazy town. Avoid Corinth, avoid Corinth. But remember, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And you have a church there. You have Christians there in this metropolis called Corinth. And how beautiful it is to see. 
But then at the same time, there is that sadness. I have to see that, wow, you know, why are they three years in with no growth? Why are there babies? But then you look at chapter 1, verse 11. It says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Look at Chloe's household. Was she married? I don't know. I kind of don't think she was. I, I, me personally, this is me personally. And I can't corroborate this anywhere. But I have a hunch that Chloe's fellowship was a lot of women. A lot of women. Because, you know, it could have been like a husband that, you know, uh, as a as a male covering. It could have been a husband that addressed certain things that were going on in the church. But no, they went to Paul. They went to Paul. Kind of like a, a pastoral covering for the church. They go to Paul. They say, Paul, there's something going on here in Corinth. It's not good. Paul catches wind of it. He reads the Chloe's letter the, from those of the household of Chloe. Maybe they send a runner to him, but he finds out about it, and he writes a letter, 1 Corinthians. And what blows me away so much, where were the pastors? Where were the pastors in Corinth? Where were the elders in Corinth? Where were the bishops? Where were the deacons? Where? Where are they? And praise be to the Lord for Chloe and her household, for Chloe, for her grace in opening up her home for this home fellowship. But I have a hunch. I have a hunch that it was like women, just like Lydia. Remember Lydia in, in, in our study in the book of Acts? Lydia, beautiful, beautiful Lydia. And she's like, she's with the women. I have a hunch that in Chloe's home, it was something similar. Women. Me personally, that's just me. Because where do you see the male cup? Where do you see the male influence? You know, where do you see uh, uh, maybe like if Chloe were married? I don't know if she was married. I kind of think that maybe she wasn't married. Because maybe her husband could have addressed certain things with the pastors in Corinth. Why did it take Paul to write this letter? I mean, praise be to the Lord that he did. And praise be to the Lord that it's here captured in the canon of Scripture. Praise be to the Lord, because it's like for the church today, milk drinkers in the church today, how a church can go from milk drinkers to meat eaters. And I say how a church can, but how a Christian can. But I love Chloe and her home. Those in Chloe's home, I love that fellowship. Just for this fellowship in Chloe's household. I mean, picture yourself in Chloe's home. And you're, you know, a little Bible Bible study. You know, deep, deep, like meat eaters. And you have this deep conversations in the Lord, praying in the Lord, Bible study. All these things are happening. And then all of a sudden, exhorting one another, loving on one another. And then all of a sudden, hey, did you hear what's going on over here? What? That is like, what, what, what did the pastor say? Nothing. He, has, he, he said nothing. What? The pastor hasn't said anything. No, no, no. He hasn't said a word. And then, oh, did you hear about this over here? What? What did that What did that elder say? What did that deacon say? Nothing. Wow. We need to tell Paul. We got to get Paul. Does anybody know where he is? Where, where, where is he? You know, I think he's in Ephesus. Okay. Let's send a runner over there. Let's send a letter over there. You see? Time-wise, he wasn't around. You read Acts 19. 
Paul was in Ephesus. That's when they're around the time there grew a great commotion about the way. Remember that three-year gap? 51 AD, 54 AD. 51 being in Acts 1. 54 AD being in, in uh, Acts 19. So there's three-year gap. Three years, no growth for the church in Corinth. And then all of a sudden, okay, we got to tell Paul. We got to tell Paul. Paul gets a letter. Paul catches wind of it. Somehow, maybe a runner, maybe somebody from Chloe's out went and told him. Maybe they wrote a letter. I don't know. But somehow, they told Paul. Paul catches wind. He writes a letter to the church in Corinth. You see? We're going to hit on some touchy subjects in our study in the book of Corinth. And if not 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Very, very touchy subjects. Very touchy subjects. And you know, it says a lot. For me to say that it's a touchy, touchy subjects. Some sexual stuff. Crazy sexual stuff. You know, things about growth and maturing in Christ. Spiritual warfare. It says a lot about the church today in our own arrested development. And I say our own because we're the church. And I teach out of the United States, Western culture. Arrested development in the church today. I can't tell you how many times I've met Christians, spoke with Christians, no Christians. You meet them for the first time. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian for, you know, all my life since I was a little boy, since I was a little girl. Wow, praise be the Lord. Oh, you know, isn't it so cool how, you know, the Lord did this here, you know, in our study. And, you know, you read this here, wherever it is in the Bible. And they're like, hmm, never heard about that before. What? It's not like a, you know, not to come off like, you know, hey, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. But to come off like, you know, why is there no growth? Why is there no maturity in Christ? It's dangerous to live in a day and age, to live your life with no growth in Christ. It's dangerous, my friend. I don't say that as a threat, you know, like. But the fight is coming to you. You don't have to be in a situation where it's like, okay, I'm going to go be a, a missionary in Sudan. Okay, where the, the threat is, I mean, you're going into like a hot zone. As a Christian, you're going into a hot zone. Oh, the Lord has called me to be a missionary in North Korea. Okay, you know, we're going to pray for you. And if that's what the Lord is calling you, you know, you got to go. You know, you're going into harm's way. If that's how the Lord is called. But we're living in a day and age where danger is coming to you. Danger is coming to us. Danger in whatever shape or form. And if you're a milk drinker, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for the fight. You're not prepared for the fight. Spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about fight like, you know, beating somebody up or shooting anybody. I'm talking about for the spiritual fight. Because Satan wants your family. He wants to kill them. All of them. He wants to take away the truth out of your heart, the truth out of their heart. You, your wife, your husband, your, you know, I, you know if you're the wife, the husband, if you're the husband, the wife. I have to say, you see, I have to say that now. The kids, he wants to take all of that away from them. And then when that's done, he wants to kill them. That's what Satan wants to do. And that's what his minions want to do. Spiritual warfare. Paul touches on that. A little bit in 1 Corinthians, but a lot of it in 2 Corinthians. Paul touches on that. You see the growth of the church in Corinth. Here in these early chapters, you see like they're milk drinkers. But then you see a shift in 2 Corinthians. Maturity, which happens through repentance. Correction. 
that they received from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verse 1 here. <clears throat> it says in verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now, in Romans 1 verse 1, he says, a bondservant separated to the gospel of God. Now, I remember reading this when I was like a new believer or lukewarm you know, 25 years ago, I remember reading this. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, I can read English. I can understand English. So here's Paul. He's called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Okay, no big deal. Let me keep reading. That's what I, that's my thought 25 years ago. But now that we have this backdrop of the book of Acts, when Paul was Saul, his conversion, and then you see his denial of self in exhorting the church, in starting the church, I mean, you know, it's of the Lord, but I mean, like the, giving birth to the church, spiritually speaking. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see him pouring his heart out to the church in Rome, where we just finished our study, the book of Romans. You see, wow. When Paul says here in verse 1 that he's called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, you see his intimacy that we studied in, in I mean, not just what we see in Romans, but like you see the intimacy that he has with the Lord in the book of, uh, book of Acts. And how this rings true, like, wow, indeed he is an apostle of Christ. Indeed, it's by the will of God. In Romans 1 verse 1, indeed he is a bondservant. Indeed he is separated to the gospel of God. Wow, how Beautiful it is to see his own maturity in Christ. And not just maturity for the sake of having knowledge, but maturity in terms of how the Lord uses him. You see? When I speak about maturity, it's not just for the sake of growth. I mean, growth is good, but it's not just for the sake of, hey, you know, let's mature in Christ so we can have all this knowledge. No. Remember, those who know, know in part. It's not for the sake of knowledge. Knowledge is good. But it's not for the sake of knowledge. Remember, love is the greatest gift. But is how is it that the Lord desires to use you? How is it that the Lord desires to use you? And when will you allow that to happen? You see, you, now you, you hear me say, well, it's in God's time. It's in God's time. I understand God's time. But if you sit on your couch and watch TV for five hours, what is it of that five-hour time period that you will deny and give to the Lord and worship of Him and studying His Word, praying? Will it be an hour? Will it be 30 minutes? Will it be 20 minutes, 5 minutes, 0 minutes? What will it be? So that's why I say, you know, how is it that the Lord wants to use you? And when will you allow that to happen and that comes through self-denial you see it in paul you see it in paul i mean so you see this overlap in the book of acts and like how he's writing all these letters so look at this overlap that we see Paul. I mean, you read the book of Acts and it's like, wow, Paul is just going crazy. The gangbusters, he's doing all these things in Corinth. You know, he's working on his tents. You know, he meets with Priscilla and Aquila, their tent makers, and they're making these tents. Remember, he didn't want any money at all. So how he earned his income was through tent making. And he would provide for himself and those who were with him food 
you know, a place to stay, you know, food, drinks, all these things, you know, water, you know, and whatever they were. I'm not talking about, you know, getting drunk when I say drinks. But he would provide for them, you know, their meals, what to eat. He would provide for them. Make his tents, sell his tents, take the profit. Okay, here. He didn't want to take money. So look at his schedule. He's making tents. And then not only that, he's you see how he's going through different towns. Going and uh, reasoning in the synagogue to the Jew first. And then on top of that, writing letters to the church in Rome. Writing letters to the church in Corinth. You see? And not only that, you remember our study in Acts 20? All that teaching. All during the day. All during the day teaching. Maybe in the morning, maybe making his tent, work on his tents. Work on his tents, selling a couple tents, and then all of a sudden he has this prophet. Okay, we're going to eat. Let's get a meal. Okay, while you guys eat, I'll eat a little bit. Well, while you guys eat, I'm going to teach. And he would teach and teach and teach. The guy fell out the window, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, the Lord, you know, restored him. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't lights out. No. Hey, light the lamps. We're going to keep teaching all the way till morning. You see? Morning came, and then, you know, next time he's on his way to Jerusalem. Remember our study, Acts 20. It's like, whoa, does this guy sleep? What in the world? It's like all about the Lord's business. And that's a result of maturity. I mean, of course, how the Lord used him and desired to use him, used him, use him. But you see, that's the beauty of denial of self. Reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead. And being about God's business. So you read these words, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. It's like, whoa. Sosthenes, remember Sosthenes? Acts 18, verse 17, he was a ruler in the synagogue and he became a believer. He says in verse 2, to the church of God who is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, sanctified, hagiaso in the Greek, hagiaso, to make holy and consecrated, which is a process. Remember, it's a process. You see? It's a process. It doesn't happen like overnight. You yield to God. You yield to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You yield to the Word of God. And it's a process. You're being made holy. When that happens, when you allow that to happen, when you make a choice to yield to the Holy Spirit and yield to the Word of God and yield to the will of God, it's a process. You're different. You're different. I don't care. You you come to the Lord as dirty as you are. I mean, you know, before you're a Christian. But if you're a non-believer listening, I don't care. As dirty as you are, you come to the Lord. Stripper, that's fine. Come to the Lord. Drug addict, sex head, alcoholic, you come to the Lord. And then when you're with the Lord and you're abiding in Christ, and you're yielding to the Holy Spirit. And you're yielding to the Word of God. And you start to understand the will of God. You know what's going to happen? You're not going to be the same. Because you're being transformed into His image. Further, I mean, we're created the image of God. But you're being transformed into the image of His Son. Supernaturally, your heart, your mind. You're not going to want to do drugs anymore. The alcohol. The sex. You're a stripper. You come to Jesus Christ. You're not going to want to do that anymore. 
Why? Because you're born again. You're a believer. And not just lukewarm, not a milk drinker. You're a meat eater. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? I used to do this. And then, you know, I heard about this ministry of a former stripper. She was a prostitute. She was a stripper and then a prostitute. Young girl, she started out as a stripper. And then she became a prostitute. And now she's a Christian now. And oh my goodness, how beautiful it is because she goes and ministers to other strippers, young girls who are strippers. You know, they get caught up in the glitz and glamour of money. You know, they want the money so they can buy the car. They want the money so they can buy the all the expensive things. So they want, you know, easy job, you know, to, to make this money. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to be a stripper. And this former stripper who's now a Christian goes to them and teaches them and loves on them and gives them the good news. And she has a little fellowship. Just women. Her alone with women. Women, no men. And praise be to the Lord. How beautiful, beautiful ministry to strippers who are no longer, I mean, she's no longer a stripper. And then other strippers who are with her and they're former strippers, but they're in, in Christ now. And they have their jobs, you know, they're not strippers anymore. They have their jobs. And praise be to the Lord. How the Lord can take anything out of the world, any person out of the world. And make him new and make her new. As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. And that's what's so beautiful. Now, it's a big danger which, ha which happens when we refuse. When we refuse to grow and matriculate. You know, you have a first grader. What happens when a first grader doesn't want to go into second grade? And just likes first grade. Likes to finger paint. Likes to do all the first grader stuff. And then this first grader all of a sudden starts to get facial hair. And grow a mustache. And get big and strong and grow muscles. Yeah, he looks like an adult. He's been in first grade forever though. You see, arrested development. And all his peers, his other first graders, they're like little kids. That's what you see in the church today. Grown men, grown women, adults. Spiritually speaking, though, babies, babies. It's not an indictment to the church. It's an indictment to the babies. You know, if that's you, if you're a baby in Christ, you know, praise be to the Lord that you're in Christ. Now, if you're a new believer, if, you, if you're like, man, you know, I'm a baby in Christ, but you were, you know, you just received Jesus Christ last week, you know, praise be to the Lord. You have an excuse. But if you're a milk drinker and you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, you know, emphasis on 40 years. That's not good. You have to change your way. Because it's dangerous, especially in these last days. It's very, very dangerous to be a milk drinker. You know why? Because look at the seduction in the church. Look at the seduction. People coming in, you know, saying the Holy, the Holy Spirit is putting glitter down from the rafters and making it fall down and calling it the Holy Spirit. Look at the craziness that's happening in the church today. And the milk drinkers, they go along hook, line, and sinker. They buy into it because they're milk drinkers. They don't know. The so-called pastor comes in. Oh, yeah, we're going to go grave soaking. Okay, I'm a milk drinker. That sounds fine. You see, it's not good. It's not fine. It's an abomination. Grave soaking, it's an abomination. And so look what happens here. 
He says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, hagios in the Greek, holy, called to be holy, hagios. You know, I don't care what the Pope says. Roman Catholic Church, they have this process for, you know, sainthood. I don't care. Oh, don't talk about the Pope. I don't care. Vicar of Christ? You want to call him the Vicar of Christ? No. No, not at all. Looking at the doctrine, Vatican I, Vatican II, I say Vicar of Antichrist. No way. No way. I don't care what the Pope says about sainthood. This is what the Bible says. Somebody needs to give the Pope a Bible so he can read it and hopefully yield to the Holy Bible. Hagios. Remember, Hagiaso is a process to make holy. Hagios, holy. You're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. I don't care what the Pope says. Called to be saints with all, with whosoever is how that translates. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. I love this because it's like Paul saying, I don't know you guys. I don't like, I know, like, remember the, 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 in, in Acts 1, the birth of the church, or in Acts 18, I mean, Acts 18, verse 1, and Paul enters into Corinth. He meets up with Priscilla and Aquila. You have the birth of the church in Corinth. But when this letter was written, time wise, on the timeline, is around uh, Acts 19. 54 AD, Acts 19. So, you know, he writes this letter to them. He finds out those in Chloe's household, they let him know that something's, these issues are going on in the church. Paul writes a letter, a letter of warning, a letter of exhortation, a letter of love, filled in the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, Paul pours out into them. And then all of a sudden, you know, he writes this letter and, you know, you see this uh, uh, when, when, when he says here at the end of verse two, uh, with all in every place who call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So picture in this three year time period, picture all those Christians who are Christians like that Paul didn't know. Paul doesn't know now because he knew the ones that were three years ago in Acts 18, but three years later in Acts 19. What about those who came to the faith since then? That's what Paul is saying here. I don't know you, whoever you are, but I love you. I'm going to pour into you. You see, my unknown brother, my unknown sister. You see? It's kind of like, you know, uh, listeners that we have right now. You right here now. I know a small fraction of listeners. A small, tiny fraction of listeners. Whom I love immensely. But... If you're listening and I don't know you and you know some some who have reached from across the pond, so to speak, I love you too. But listeners, I have no idea who you are. From wherever in the world, wherever in the United States, wherever in the globe, I have no idea who you are. That's what Paul is saying here. With all who in every who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours. You guys are mine too, he's saying. Three years later, I don't know who came to Christ now, but you know, if there's somebody in this household that's a Christian who's maybe, you know, entering this home fellowship, praise be to the Lord. I love you too. And this is for you too, the body of Christ. Everybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, they're milk drinkers, but they're still saints. Now there's a danger behind drinking milk. It's not good. 
Remember, Judas by trespass fell. Acts 1. It's not good to trespass and trespass and trespass and trespass and trespass. It's not good. Why? Because each time that happens, your heart gets harder. And that's what happens to the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, Hebrews 3. We are told these things. All these things are written. And so all of a sudden, Paul says, yeah, you're milk drinkers. Saints, milk drinkers. But let us move on from the milk. And Paul touches on some hardcore things, hardcore subjects, some sexual things too. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. You see, it's remember around this time frame, there's a great commotion about the way. And the Christians are getting attention. The people of the way, they're getting attention. From the Jews, from the Gentiles, from the business people. Who, you know, they would make their uh, statues. They would make their idols and sell them to, you know. Remember, Corinth is a hub, business hub, commercial, high, hardcore commercial area. And so the business people, they would make their, you know, uh, Diana, uh, uh, all these different gods. And they were the business people. They would make all these idols. And, and, you know, the Christians came in attack. The church started to grow and it affected their business. Christians were in the crosshairs. You see? And Paul says, you know what? I thank my God always. In verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him. In all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. It translates in verse 6 as even as the testimony or the evidence of Christ was confirmed in you or translates as among you. And I say among you because not to minimize or discredit the church, but the church in Corinth has major problems. Major, major problems. And when Paul is writing this letter, he's fully aware of these problems. By those in the household of Chloe, fully aware of these problems. Some sexual stuff, idolatry, contentions, wrath, divisions. A carnal church. Remember, a church of milk drinkers. I, I, I could say absentee pastors, absentee elders, absentee deacons, absentee bishops. But praise to the Lord for those in Chloe's household, little home fellowship, because they said, hey, we got to tell Paul. We got to tell Paul major, major problems of which we're going to touch on. Not today, maybe a little bit today. But we're going to see as we continue in our study through the book of First Corinthians, it's like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening in the church. What about today? What about today? What is it that's happening in the church today? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Sex, drugs, alcohol. You know why I say sex, drugs, and alcohol a lot? Because that's what I've seen a lot of. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. This church in Corinth has major, major problems. Paul is aware of them. And you know what? Carnality. Carnality does not help restore a church. Turn with me really quick, really quick to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Okay. 
And here in Galatians 6, verse 1, this is what Paul says to the church in Galatia. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual. You know how that translates? You who are non-carnal. That's how it translates. Non-carnal. So you hear me talk a lot about reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, you know, be crucified with Christ. It's not for the sake of, you know, speaking Christianese to reckon the old man and reckon the old woman dead. It's not for the sake of speaking Christianese. There's a purpose behind it. Because if you persist in carnality, if I persist in carnality, we become unable, incapable of restoring another brother, restoring another sister. And that's the danger behind carnality. Satan, his minions, all these demons, they desire you to be carnal. They like you as milk drinkers. You know why? Because you're not a threat. Milk drinkers are not a threat. You see? That's what Paul is saying here in verse 1 of Galatians 6. He says, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are non-carnal, restore, which is to mend, to equip, and to repair. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, which is meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Restoration in the body of Christ. It can be done by Non-carnal people. Of course, pray for these individuals. And the Lord does this mighty work. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's mighty in the Lord. The dunamis power of the Lord. But what are the vessels that He uses? You see? That's the danger of carnality. You want to flirt with carnality? You want to live a carnal lifestyle? It's dangerous. You want to be a milk drinker? It's dangerous. You want to be lukewarm? It's dangerous. Jesus Christ says something to the lukewarm. He says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. That's what he says. It's not good. In the body and, you know, vomited out. Not good. And so, in, in Galatians 6 verse 1, you who are spiritual, you who are non-carnal, Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And that's what we're seeing Paul do to the church in Corinth. A church full of Christians that were overtaken in, you know, trespasses. All kinds of trespasses. And some of the trespasses, you're going to get sick to your stomach. Because it's some disgusting stuff. In the church. Of whom Paul calls saints. Disgusting things. Do not be deceived. Remember, liar, fornicator will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do not be deceived. Today is the day of salvation. If you're a milk drinker or if you're a milk drinker and you're involved with all kinds of craziness, sex, drugs, rock and roll, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, repent. Repent and change your ways. There's a huge, huge, huge danger behind being a milk drinker. And I don't say that like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. I say from experience, I too was a milk drinker. And it was dangerous. 
and the Lord showed me the error of my ways. So now let's go back to First Corinthians. And we're going to see some vessel, non-carnal, just as the vessels in Chloe's household. But you're going to see this vessel who is non-carnal restore a church in a spirit of gentleness. Restore Christians in a spirit of gentleness. And so he says this in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, in, in verse 5, enriched in everything by Christ. And here in verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis. Christians, eagerly waiting for the apocalypse. Is how it translates. You know, just so you know, you might be hearing this for the first time, but just so you know, I'm not, the, the, the rapture of the church I'm not a, a pre-tribulation guy. I'm not a pre-tribulation guy. Now you might think like, oh my goodness. That goes against everything I've learned. I, I know it's popular, the pre-tribulation rapture. I know it's popular. But if you want to know more about you know this, you have to scroll a little bit, but listen to a study called uh, When is the Rapture? Listen to that study. It's very important. Because, you know, pe people look at, you know, oh, you know, the, the Lord is going to save us from this hour. The Lord is going to save us from this hour of uh, pointing to, you know, they, they point to one church, but then they forget a certain other church. Smyrna. Where death is going to happen. Persecution is going to happen. Listen to that study. If, if, if you're hearing this, it's like, what, what in the world? He, he doesn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I used to. I used to. But then you start to read the scriptures. It's like, wait a second. It, 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 it doesn't align properly. It doesn't fit properly. It's very important. You know, you have this church here. They're eagerly waiting for the apocalypse, the revelation, the apocalypsis, the revelation of our Lord Jesus. And I have to say that because, and I'm going to say that frequently, very frequently. That I, 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 I don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. So listen to that study. When is the rapture? In verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, who will also, you know, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ will also confirm you to the end, confirmed by the testimony in verse 6, and then also by Christ himself. That's what's so beautiful about a testimony, a witness in Christ, evidence of your walk with Christ. You see, and I don't mean evidence like, you know, you have some people say that the, the there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life by speaking in tongues. Maybe. But speaking in tongues is just one of many gifts. What about evidence of the Holy Spirit through love? Through knowledge? Those who know, know in part through prophecy. The fruit of the Spirit. What about evidence of the Holy Spirit that way? Why is it that people say there's evidence of the Holy Spirit by you speaking in tongues? But uh, tongues is one of many gifts. Why, why, why do you restrict the Holy Spirit to only tongues? You see? 
the beauty of a testimony, evidence of the Lord in your life, evidence of, you know, that, that is it, like in verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. But then at the same time, you look at verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. It's like this, it's like surrounding by the Lord. Confirmed by the testimony, your testimony in Christ, and then also by Christ himself to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. Because you read the book of Joel, and you see the day of the Lord isn't a good thing. It's like, well, what is it? Am I supposed to look forward to the day of the Lord, or do I not like the day of the Lord? Joel says, you know, beware of the day of the Lord. Peter says, look forward to the day of the Lord. So which is it? Do I not like it or do I like it? Well, it depends on your, your position in Christ. It depends on you. Are you a believer? No. Okay. Joel says, fear the day of the Lord. It's going to be a terrible day. Okay. And that's scary. <laughs> Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay. Peter said, you know, look forward to the day of the Lord because it's our day of redemption. The day of the Lord. Just as it's written here in verse 8. Who also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. So if you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. We look forward to the day of the Lord. Just like Peter says. You're not a Christian. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of your heart. The day of the Lord. Beware of the day of the Lord. It's going to be a terrible day for you. You say, oh my goodness, that's scary. I know it's scary. What's the remedy? What do I do? Receive Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. I don't want God's judgment upon you. But it's coming. It's coming. Perilous times. We're already in them. We're already in them. The signs of the times. It's happening. We are in the times of the signs. It's happening. But look what is written here in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were also called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this also begs into question. It calls into question. Well, wait a second. Am I called? Verse 9 says, by whom you were called into the fellowship of the son. So wait a second. Am I called? You might ask this question to yourself. Am I called? Well, you tell me. People ask me sometimes, am I, how do I know I'm called? You tell me. You tell me. Are you called? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Well, did you answer the phone? Answer the phone. I mean, you know, somebody says, how do you know I'm called? Um, how do you know? How do I know I'm called of the Lord? It's, it's like, say, for example, you know, we're talking, we're sitting in a coffee shop, having a cup of coffee. And your phone starts ringing, you know, ring, 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 whatever ringtone you have. And then you were asking me a question. Am I called? Is somebody calling me? Um, the phone's ringing right there. Okay, do you not hear the ring? It's ringing. Answer the phone. He said, what do you mean? I don't get why. You, I always reference this in, 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 in Isaiah. I always get confused. It's Isaiah 56 or 66. It's Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 verse 4. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. That's what the Lord says. Isaiah 66 verse 4. I called and no one answered. You see? 
So you ask me a question, am I called of the Lord? You tell me. I can tell you this, the phone is ringing. You know, answer the phone. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, he says. Remember, this is a non-carnal vessel. He starts to address carnality. And he says, I plead with you, brethren. Remember, non, the non-carnal, I have to say this. The non-carnal is of the utmost beauty. The utmost beauty. Of the people that I have known in Christ who are the most non-carnal, they are the most beautiful people I have ever met in my life. The majority of them are old seniors. Old people. They are among the most beautiful people I have ever met in my life. They pray. They read the Bible. They are such a strong encouragement just by their witness. And then you start to fellowship with them. And it's like, oh my goodness. It's like radiance of holy beauty. It's holiness. It's the uh, hagiaso and the hagios. Beautiful, of the utmost beauty. And that's what you see in Paul here. Now he's being used as a vessel of the Lord. And I say this as strong encouragement to you. When you deny self, when you reckon the old man dead, when you reckon the old woman dead, allow yourself, allow yourself to be used of the Lord. Yield to Him. You say, how do I allow myself? Well, you yield to Him. Yield to His Word, yield to His Spirit, and yield to His will. Just like we see Paul doing. A non-carnal vessel is now addressing carnality. And it's beautiful to witness. He says here in verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Translate says the same discourse, the same witness, and the same doctrine. Speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions. You see? No divisions among you. Now, Sound doctrine is required. Remember our study in Romans 14 and Romans 16? Well, Romans 16 verse 17, Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For there, for those are those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. So doctrine is... Paramount. But then, what about those things which are doubtful things? Like in chapter four, Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not, with, not to disputes over doubtful things. Doubtful, uh, doubtful concepts that we read in the Scripture. Not doubtful, like that's doubtful, but doubtful like, you know, Paul talks about, you know, is, is Monday holier than Sunday? Is Tuesday holier than, you know? I'm not going to dispute over that. Certain foods, I'm not going to dispute over that. But you want to go grave soaking? We're going to dispute over that. You're a pastor that wants to, you know, teach uh, grave soaking? You're a pastor that wants to call glitter the Holy Spirit? We're going to dispute over that. 
You see how we have these. Remember, Paul is non-carnal. If he were carnal, he wouldn't be equipped to correct. He wouldn't be able to correct. He could try to correct. But his hypocrisy would be on full display. His carnality would be on full display. And where would the power of the Lord be? No. You have the non-carnal who is being used as a vessel of the Lord. Turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians. A different letter. Still a letter to the church in Corinth, but at a different time period. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 14 says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. I don't want your things, he says. I don't want your things. I don't want your money. But you know what I want? I want you. You see the desire of this beautiful, beautiful fisherman, this beautiful, beautiful pastor. For I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. You know, we live in a day and age where parents are like the freeloaders of the kids. You know, and not to say that kids should be the freeloaders of the parents, but parents lay up for the kids. Spiritually speaking, pastors, pastors lay up for the children, the flock of God. That's what Paul is saying here. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. You see, Paul is like a spiritual father. Verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent. I love this. Translates as to uh, to, uh, entirely expend, but to be exhausted is how it translates I will very gladly be spent and be spent to be exhausted for your souls. You see, Paul's purpose, his goal to be exhausted for their souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved, he says, the less I am loved. Wow. He's exhausted, very gladly exhausted for their souls. And he says, the more I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. You see? You see? His service unto the Lord. As a vessel unto the Lord. Non-carnal. And because of his non-carnality, because of his, as is translates in Galatians 6, what we just read, he's spiritual, non-carnal. Now he's able to correct. I say that because what do you have in the church today? You have carnal pastors, hypocrite pastors, carnal elders, hypocrite elders. You say, like, well, you know, this is like an indictment against the, the, the leadership. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Pastors who are alcoholics, pastors who are, you know, the meth heads, pastors who do their marijuana, pastors who snort lines, pastors who are on pornography, pastors who are tax cheats, pastors who are doing all kinds of things. Carnality. Ill-equipped, unequipped to fix, to restore in a spirit of gentleness. They might have appear gentle, appear meek. But because of that hypocrisy and carnality, because of that, they are unable to fix, unable to address. That's why, you know, you have to take the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly. 
You see? And so look what happens here. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When he's in verse 10, when he says that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions. Or he says uh, uh, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. But that you be perfectly joined together. Katartiso is what that is in the Greek. Katartiso. Which is to be thoroughly complete, repaired, and together. That's what Paul is saying here. To be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Which translates as the same opinion, the same counsel, the same purpose. The same. Everything the same. In the last days, it is prophesied that there will be a mother of harlots. A mother of harlots. Which means that this mother of harlots, because she's called a mother, she has children. You see, the deception that we read about in the last days, it will be great. Great deception. And remember, the last days church is either false, apostate, or it is true. Paul, as a non-carnal vessel, is being used by the Lord, or has been used by the Lord. And he's being used by the Lord because 2,000-some years later, give or take a couple years, he's still exhorting us today. And not to lift up Paul, but to lift up Christ in Paul, the Spirit of the Lord that was in Paul, who is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. You see? Paul is given as a pattern. He even says that of godly people, men and women, you have us as a pattern, he says. Telling the churches, hey, you have us as a pattern. You see, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Wow, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he says. So look what happens here. The same mind and in the same judgment, he says in verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions, translates as quarrels, debates, and strife. Contentions among you. I wonder if there were Christians in Corinth, not in Chloe's household, who pointed the finger at them. Oh, Chloe, there she goes. She's gossiping again. There's that little home fellowship. There they go. They go gossiping again. What a bunch of busy bodies. No way. No way. They're not gossiping. They're not busy bodies. They're not meddling. Because who was alerted? Those in Chloe's household, who did they tell? They didn't go and start telling everybody. Who didn't they tell? They went to Paul. A non-carnal shepherd is who they went to. You see? And then Paul writes this letter. Verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am, I, I am of Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided, he says in verse 13? Is Christ divided? That's a hardcore question. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, 
Many in church leadership, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, they like to be the big shots. They like to be the big shots. They like to be called pastors. They like to have their, you know, pastor parking space. They like to have all the sit in the front row. They like to sit on the stage. They like to be seen. But I'll tell you the best way if you're a ministry leader. Deny yourself. That's the best way. Deny yourself, just like we see Paul. A non-carnal vessel. And in his non-carnality, able to correct, able to fix, to be used. And it's the Lord doing the fixing. But what is the tool, the vessel by which he does it? Paul says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you. I thank God that I baptized none of you. Except Crispus and Gaius. You see, Crispus, when you read uh, Acts 18, is another fellow who was uh, uh, a ruler in the synagogue and became a Christian. So you have this big metropolis called Corinth. And Paul baptized only two? Wow. I wonder if there were other pastors, other shepherds in Corinth, other elders deacons if they said wow you know paul only baptized two i've baptized hundreds i've baptized you know dozens you see i wonder if there were pastors there who were saying that of paul i wonder if there were elders who were saying that of paul paul only did two wow i've done 10 i've done 20 i've done 100 i've done a thousand And Paul is rejoicing, thanking God that he's only done two. I thank God that I baptized none of you, he says, except Crispus and Gaius. He says in verse 15, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. You see, remember, Corinth is a bunch of milk drinkers at this particular juncture. Milk drinkers. And I love verse 16 so much. (laughs) It's so (laughs) much. Verse 16, he says, Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. I love verse 16 so much. And maybe it's a little bit of, you know, my own um, experience. As I get older, as I get older, something's happening. I can feel it. Uh, Something else introduced into the old mind, which is forgetfulness. I forget things. You know, I'm over the age of 40. I'm old codger, you know. I'm over the age of 40. I'm over the hill. And already it's like, wow, I've forgotten things. You know, and praise be to the Lord. Because, you know, I read verse 16 and it makes me laugh so hard. Because it's like, you know, he says in verse 14, I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So we okay. That's, that's, that's two people. Crispus, Gaius, that's two. But then in verse 16, oh yeah, you know, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. So Stephanas might have been him and his wife, him and his wife, a couple kids, or it could have been like maybe a, a small fellowship. But he also baptized them. A little recollection. I only baptized these two. Oh, I forgot about the household of Stephanas. So let me write this down. Maybe there was another. So besides, I did not know whether I baptized the other. And I love this. And what an exhortation it is for old people. Old people, if you are 
40 and above, you know, 50 and above, 60 and above. Let no one despise your oldness. Because, you know, Paul's old. Moses was old. I mean, look at 80 years old, you know, and then he like begins his ministry. Begins. Moses is an old guy. Picture an old, I mean, you hear me talk about, you know, Moses going up the mountain, Moses coming down the mountain, Moses going up again, Moses coming down again. Picture that for an old guy. It's easy when you're 20, you know, you got strong legs, strong back, piece of cake, you can run up the mountain. Well, I mean, not all 20 year olds, but you know, some 20 year olds. Piece of, it's easier than when you're 80. Picture Moses, you know, sandals. Sandals going on, you know, cut, you know, walking through stones, walking on top of stones. The dirt, you know, rocky ground. And he's walking up to be with the Lord. An old guy. If you're an old person and you're listening, let no one despise your oldness. Praise be to the Lord. You could pray for the younger generation. You could speak to the younger generation. A lot of wisdom is tied up with the old people. You know, when I say old people, you've been walking with the Lord for decades. Man, there's a lot of wisdom wrapped up. You know, provided you're not a milk drinker. You've been growing in the Lord. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord for, you know, 80 years, you're an old codger and you're listening like, wow, you know, but then you're a milk drinker. Okay, well, you know, you need to grow. You need to matriculate and grow in Christ. You see? And so look what happens here in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Whoa, that's a hardcore statement right here. Christ did not send me to baptize. You remember in, in Acts chapter 6, there was this problem that arose in the church. Let's look at Acts 6 really quick. In Acts 6, there was this uh, problem that arose in the church where there was, uh, um, uh, at the end of verse 1, says uh, their widows were neglected. There was an issue that arose between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. It says because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And so what happened, it says in verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. You see, it is not good that we should, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Can you imagine a pastor? If, if someone says, hey, pastor, you know, the, it, it, there's this issue going on over here. Do something about it. And for the pastor to say, you know what? The Lord called me to teach. It is not desirable that I should leave the word of God and serve tables. Can you imagine the hullabaloo that would arise over that pastor? I can't believe he said that. How dare he? He's supposed to do this. He's supposed to do that. But no. If that person, if that pastor is called to teach, he's got to teach. If that pastor is called to evangelize, he's got to evangelize. Maybe he's not called to be a pastor. He's called to be an evangelist. He's got to evangelize. He has to do the will of the Lord. These apostles, it is not desirable, they say in verse 2, it is not, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the 12, so you have the apostles now, the 12 apostles, you know, Matthias replaced Judas. They gather the multitudes of disciples and say, hey, we're not, we can't leave the word of God. And then they give the solution. You guys have to choose from among you. 
seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They know how the Lord is calling them and how the Lord wants to use them. They know their ministry. They, in their own intimacy with the Lord, they know how the Lord wants to use them. And it's not to serve at tables. Now, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, and Paul says the same exact thing. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. He, being thankful for the fact that he baptized just a small fraction. In verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. You know, the calling that the Lord has on me, it's not to baptize is what Paul's saying. But he called me, he says in verse 17, but to preach the gospel, you know, in order to know the will of the Lord on this level, intimacy is required. It's required. Christ did not send me to baptize. He called me to preach the gospel. And not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. You see, translate says, made empty and neutralized is how it translates. The wisdom of words. You know, sometimes you hear sermons that are more like academic dissertations. A lot of times people like the intellectual they're like, oh yeah, I like how this guy uses these big words, this so-called learned guy. This so-called learned person, he uses all these big words, and it sounds like a college dissertation. And people like that. But you have to be careful. I'm not saying that, you know, that it's like entirely bad. I mean, depending on what is being taught, you know. But be careful with the wisdom of words. That's what Paul is saying here. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Remember, the so-called learned class are the ones who rejected Jesus Christ, the religious establishment. They were the rejectors of Jesus Christ. They were the rejectors of Paul, servant of Christ. Not just Paul, Christians. You see? For the message of the cross is foolishness. You know, it's very interesting. So, you know, if you ever talk to atheists and they say, oh, yeah, you Christians, you guys are crazy. The, it's foolishness. You can say, hey, you're right. The atheists have a little bit of accuracy, accuracy here in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. So if you're an atheist listening, you are you have some accuracy to what you're saying. Except he continues to those who are perishing. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, is the power. it is the power of God. So you hear me say that. Say, wait a second. If you're an atheist and you're listening and you say, wait a second. So, you know, I'm perishing, but, you know, you're being saved. Okay, well, it's to say the door is open. Come to the door. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, I can't. You know, I'm an atheist. I reject Jesus Christ. Well, you're making your choice. So what is it? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The same truth. The same truth. The same word of God. 
except received in entirely different ways. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse... Eleven, Luke 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Let's pause here for a moment. What in the world is Satan doing there? What in the world is Satan doing in this person's heart? Or these people's hearts. You're an atheist. If you're an atheist and you're listening. What in the world is Satan doing in your heart? You see. This says a lot. Verse 12 reveals a lot. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Why? Lest they should believe and be saved. You see. Satan, the devil, that serpent of old, Beelzebub, he does not want that seed to be in your heart. You see? Why? Because he's afraid. He's afraid. He doesn't want you to believe. He doesn't want you to be saved. If you're an atheist, even if you're a Satanist, and you're listening, and you hear me say that, Understand that Satan is afraid of you hearing and believing and being saved. He's afraid. He doesn't want that to happen. Because he is rendered powerless when that happens. You know what I say? Believe. Receive Jesus Christ. You're hearing the truth. You're hearing the word of God. Now you have a choice to make. Are you by the wayside? Or, let's look at verse 13. Are you on the rock? But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. This is a short-term believer. So what you hear about once saved, always saved, here you have in verse 13, the red letters. The Lord reveals that it's possible to be a short-term believer. So don't be a short-term believer. You have a person who receives the word with joy. He says, when they hear, receive the word of joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. Short-term believer, except they fall away in temptation. In verse 14, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see, the same seed goes forth, except how it is received is entirely different. It depends on your heart. It depends on your heart. In Luke 12, verse 51, Jesus Christ, red letters again. He says, do you suppose that I came to, get, bring, to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. You see? 
rather division. The same seed goes forth, except look at what happens in the hearts of people. The same seed goes forth. It can fall on the wayside. It can fall on the rock. It can fall among thorns. It can fall on or on good ground. What is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? And understand that Satan has an objective as well. You see? Jesus Christ says in Luke 12, 51, don't suppose, he says, do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth, to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. Rather division. So now we have an understanding of what Paul is saying here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, based on what we read in Luke's eight, Luke 8, we can see in, in Luke 8, those are by the wayside. The same word goes forth. Except the word goes forth. Those by the wayside, those who are perishing, the seed, the word of God goes in your ear. And then all of a sudden, it goes in your heart, but just for a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of time. It's the devil who comes and takes away the word, that little seed. He takes it out of your heart. You know why? Because he's a scaredy cat. He's afraid of you believing and you being saved. That's what he's afraid of. If that's you, you hear my voice, and you hear me say this, and you're an atheist. Or no, you're an agnostic. Understand what's happening in your heart. That serpent of old, understand what he's doing in your heart. Number one, get him out of your heart. Number two, keep that seed in your heart. Keep it there. Keep it there so that you can believe and so that you can be saved. And I say atheist, agnostic, but if you're not a Christian, you might be Buddhist. You might be a Hare Krishna. Whatever, fill in the blank, I don't care. Mormon, Jehovah's Witness. You see, come to Jesus Christ. He loves you. Don't let that seed fall on the wayside. Let it fall on good ground. Let your heart be good ground. You say, wait a second, I, I've done all kinds of things. I'm a drug addict. I'm a sex head. I'm an alcoholic. That's nice. That's nice. God had sent his son while we were sinners. While we were sinners. You think you can clean your life up and then come to Christ? No way. He takes you in your filth the same way he took me in my filth. In my filth. When the Lord took me, I, I was in the utmost of filth. The utmost of filth. And I felt so dirty. I could take a million showers and I would still be dirty. With Brillo pad, just like scrape away at the skin and I would still be dirty, still be unclean. And you know who cleansed me? Jesus Christ. He took away my sins. And he'll take away your sins too. I don't care you're Buddhist, you're whatever, Satanist, atheist, I don't care. 
Don't let your heart be the wayside. Let your heart be good ground. Good ground so that seed can grow. You see? What is the condition of your heart? Verse 18 in 1 Corinthians, the message, message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I don't want you to be perishing. If you're a non-believer, I don't want you to perish. I want you to be alive in Christ. I want you to eat of the tree of life. I want you to join me in our journey to paradise. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. He quotes Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Question mark. I love this. Where is the wise? Sophos in the Greek. The wise, the sage, the clever philosophos, you know, philosopher. It's where we get the word philosophy, philosopher. Philosophos, those who are lovers of knowledge. Where is the wise, he says? Where is the scribe, the grammateus? You know, proper grammar usage, professional writers, the people who are wise with words. Where is the wise? Where is the scribes? Where is the disputer of this age? Disputer is the suzutetes, somebody who likes to dispute, the sophist, the teacher of philosophy. The one who is a teacher of philosophy and a teacher of reason. Where are they? Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where are they? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We're living in a day and age where we're surrounded by by fools. We're surrounded by stupid people. I mean, look at the coronavirus. Look at the COVID. Look at all the remedies that states and, you know, federal governments and national governments and city governments are putting into place. It's stupid. It is foolishness. Look at what's happening to our kids, young kids who can't socialize. The rise of suicide, people killing themselves, young kids killing themselves. Elementary age kids killing themselves. Junior high, high schoolers killing themselves because they have no social interaction. Depression on the rise. Look at the foolishness of the world around us. We're surrounded by stupid people. Let it ring true the word of our Lord. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see? Look at all the stupid people around us. And I don't mean stupid like, you know, like to say they're stupid, like, you know, mocking. I mean foolishness. I mean, I named a couple things. Gender identity. You could apply for a city job in New York City and you have, you know, what is your sex? And you have three different, uh, 38 different check marks. That's the last time I checked. There might be more now, but they have 30 day, 38 different check marks. To choose your sex. Your gender. What is your gender? It's the wisdom of this world. And it's foolishness. For since, in verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world through, the, through wisdom did not know God. So you see, there's 
godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And they're both entirely different. Entirely different. The wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the world. Entirely different. The In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed or those who believe. So it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. You see? I mean, hearken to our studies through the Old Testament and New Testament. All our past studies. Even your own private studies. Godly men. Godly women. What's that, Lord? You want me to build an ark? You see? What's that, Lord? There's no ocean here. There's no water here. And you want me to build a boat? Not just a boat, but an ark. A big, big, big boat. You see? What's that, Lord? You want me to walk through the ocean? You want me to lead Israel through the ocean? What's that, Lord? What's that, Lord? You want me to go to Nineveh? Remember Ananias? What's that, Lord? You want me to bring Saul to my house? There's an element of foolishness to the message preached. When I say an element of foolishness, because it's like an ark when there's no water, to walk through an ocean when the ocean is there, to, to, to go to Nineveh? To bring Saul to my house? You see? Belief. Belief. Jesus died on a cross for your sin. Do you believe? Do you believe? The non-believer, uh, come on, that's crazy. Jesus died on a cross for my sin? What are you talking about? That's crazy. I know to the natural man, to the natural man, to the natural woman, it sounds crazy. But the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. And it's entirely supernatural what we're talking about. God loves you. God loves you. He takes my sin and your sin, if you're a believer, and he puts it on his son who paid the price. The wages of sin is death and Christ died for my sin and your sin if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, believe. Believe. You see? It's simple. Easy. No catechism. You don't have to memorize like a hundred, two hundred different things. You don't have to. No catechism. I don't care what the what the Pope says. I don't care what the, the, the Synod of Dort says. Westminster. I don't care. No catechism. Remember, uh, man and brethren, what do we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent. Repent. Receive Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You see, believe. You hear me say this. 
You hear me talk about your sin coming, not being accounted to you, but being placed on the Son, on God's only begotten Son, on Jesus Christ. Maybe two years ago you said, oh, that's crazy talk. There's no way. But maybe you're in a place in life today, right here, right now, where you're more receptive to spiritual things, deep, deep, deep spiritual things. And if the answer is yes, today is the day of salvation. You repent, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You hit pause right now in what we're studying. You hit pause right now. You get to scroll a little bit, but scroll and listen to a message that says how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you listen to that and you pray the sinner's prayer and you're welcomed into the family of God. Heirs of Abraham, by promise. Because this holy seed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see? And if that's you, if you're a non-believer, except there's like little something, like, wait a second, what is this guy talking about? Something different. Maybe two years ago you thought it was crazy, but now you're more receptive. You hit pause right now and you do just that. You say the sinner's prayer. Just listen, scroll a little bit, how to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you do just that. And then you come back and you start listening, resuming our study as a new believer. As a believer. And then verse 18 can come alive to you. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You are written about here in verse 18. You see, that's how the Lord, he wrapped everything up so beautifully in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God through the, uh, the world, through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You say, wait a second, why? Why did he do it like this? Why? He says this, for, the, for Jews request a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom, both Jew and Gentile, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. Remember, hearken to our study in Romans 11. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called. There's that question again. Am I called? Am I called? Am I called? Answer the phone. That's what I say. Answer the phone. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, not that Paul is saying that, you know, th that foolishness and weakness is in God, but he's giving a little example. I like to think of like Shaquille O'Neal, you know, in his prime, not Shaquille O'Neal now, although Shaquille O'Neal now is, probably, you know, a killer on the court. But Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, whew, that guy was a monster. But you take Shaquille O'Neal playing basketball one-on-one -on -one with a preschooler. You could take Shaq, say, okay, Shaq, you know, you have to be on your knees. And he would still win in a game of one-on-one. -on -one. He would still win because the guy's a monster on the court. He would still win. Even in Shaq's weakness, it's still stronger than that preschooler. And that's what Paul is saying here. Similar concept. Now, not to deify Shaq. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, or he translates as, for consider your calling, 
brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So wait a second here. You see a little picture of where logic, intellect, and wisdom of the world, they interfere with things of faith. It's a huge interference to things of faith, godly things. Look at a Christian kid. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at a Christian kid. 15-year-old boy, girl, doesn't matter. 16, 17, 18, and then all of a sudden goes off to university. Goes off to university. Spends, you know, a couple years there, three, four years there. And then all of a sudden comes home. He's done. She's done. Whatever. And then all of a sudden they come back home. And boom, they're an atheist. They won't admit it. They'll try to speak smart and say, oh, I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, consider. Which translates in verse 26 as, for consider or uh, take heed is how it translates. Remember these things. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. So you see how intellect and logic and the wisdom of the world, it interferes with the things of the faith, the things of the Lord. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? That's what Paul says in verse 20. The wisdom of this world. Parents, be very, very careful with the wisdom of the world, especially unto your kid, for yourself, but especially for your kids. Because the wisdom of the world is stupid. It is straight up crazy town. We're living, I mean, it's, look how they're handling the coronavirus. Look at the uh, gender studies at higher education, so-called higher education. Look at gender studies. I mean, last time I checked, there were 38 genders. I mean, in accordance with their wisdom, in accordance with the wisdom of the Bible, there's only two. <laughs> you know, male, female. God had created them both male and female. You see? But the wisdom of the world says there's 38. Now there's probably like 70. That was, you know, a couple years ago there was 38 in accordance with the wisdom of the world. You see? So why is it that the Lord has done this? Why is it that he's created these things such like this? Why has he put things into place like this? Paul says in verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I, you know, anytime you think you're a big shot in Christ, remember these verses. Anytime you think you're a big shot, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you're a ministry leader, and you think you're Mr. Big Shot, Mrs. Big Shot, you know, remember these words. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things or the insignificant things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, it's God's workmanship. It's his handiwork. And it's all for his glory. You see? He gets all the glory, 100%. 
100%, not 90%, not 99.9%, 100%. He gets all the glory that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So abiding in Christ is a beautiful thing. But it also comes with immense, immense blessings, such as wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Paul quotes Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to give you another perspective. Another perspective. Turn with me really quick. To John chapter 9. In closing, in John chapter 9. And here in John chapter 9, you have here in, in, in verse 24, you have a, what's happening here. The, the Pharisees. The Pharisees summon a blind man who now sees, a former blind man, he now sees. The, he was healed by Jesus. And then they, they asked his parents, you know, why is he, why, what happened? Why, what, what, why was he blind? Why does he now see? And so now they ask, they ask the, 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 the guy who now sees, the guy who was healed by the Lord. They summon him. And then they say this in verse 24, give God glory, exclamation point. This is, remember, these are the wise guys. These are, these are what the wise and the knowledgeable refer to as glory. The sophos, so to speak, the grammateos, so to speak, hearkening to our study, what we just read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And they're telling him, this guy who was formerly blind and healed by the Lord, they're saying, give God the glory, exclamation point. We know that this man is a sinner. They're speaking about Jesus Christ. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. Whoa. Jesus as a sinner? They're way off. They're way off. The learned class, the sophos, the grammateus, wisdom of the world. Crazy town. He answered, the guy who was formerly blind, except now he sees this so-called unlearned. He doesn't go, he never went to formal education like these priests. He never went to formal education like the Pharisees, brought up, well-educated, so to speak, in the wisdom of the world. You say, wait a second, it's the wisdom of the synagogue. Well, look at the state of the synagogue here. Blind. And so this formerly blind guy, he responds and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I love this so much. Look at his theology. Jesus Christ, a sinner? I mean, because we have the full counsel of the word of God, we have the writings that was written in Hebrews, we know he was without sin. And not just the writing in Hebrews. Without sin. This particular guy, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. He has no theology, very limited theology. Jesus Christ is a sinner? That's what... The, the so-called learned people, they say, we know that this man is a sinner. Except he says, this formerly blind guy, 
Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. He said, remember, he had an encounter with Jesus. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, remember, this is the so-called learned to the unlearned. The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. You see? The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of the Lord. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did you open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. And you did not listen. Very interesting. They have a tendency to not listen, these so-called learned people. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I like this guy. I like a little feisty. I like this guy. Look, I got a little fight in him. I like it. Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are of we are Moses' disciples. You see, we're special, we're hardcore, we follow Moses. That's what these so-called learned people said, except not understanding that Moses wrote about Jesus. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, this fellow. Notice they're speaking about Jesus. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And so, the formerly blind guy who now sees, the man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing. Why, he says, this is a marvelous thing? That you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Remember, this is the end of the old covenant. Now we know that God, he's schooling them. The so-called unlearned is schooling the so-called learned. You see? The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. A guy with very limited theology, very limited theology, because he says in verse 25, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. Very limited theology. Except I'll take his theology over the Pharisees any day. Verse 31, now we know that God does not hear sinners. Remember, emphasis on this, the end of the Old Covenant. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Remember, the so-called unlearned with no theology, now he's schooling the learned, educating them. You see? Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, I like this guy's theology over, you know, he could be taught a little bit more. But I'll take his theology over that of the learned, over that of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees. I'll take this blind guy's theology any day, formerly blind, I should emphasize. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and, and you are teaching us. Notice they're pompous. You ever talk to smart people, so-called smart people? Those with the wisdom of the world? They have pompous attitudes. They think they're smart. And, you know, they do have an element of smarts, but it's in accordance with the world, which is foolishness, just like these so-called learned people. You were completely born in sins and you are teaching us? You see, they said you were completely born in sins. Verse 3 reveals that they're wrong. Look at verse 3 really quick. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You see? No sin. No sin. And the Pharisees, these blind guides, they tell him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us. And are you teaching us? Then they cast him out. And they cast him out, it says. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? I love this. So Jesus hears that he was cast out and he goes and he seeks him out. He searches him. And then he had found him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So you see this blind, formerly blind guy, he wants to believe. Except he doesn't know who the Son is. You know, the question was, do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord? Who is he? I want to believe in him, but who is he? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So, Look at his theology, this formerly blind guy. Look at his theology. He had very limited knowledge. Very limited knowledge. Except Jesus. Jesus. He becomes Lord of his life. Lord, I believe, he says. And this formerly blind guy worshipped Jesus. And Jesus becomes... His wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification, his redemption, just as what Paul was teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. You see, people all the time, they say they want the knowledge. They want to know. They want to read the Bible and know and have all kinds of knowledge. But, yeah, you know, that's not a bad thing. But don't forget the greatest gift. Don't forget what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. When Jesus Christ becomes your wisdom, become and not your wisdom, Jesus Christ abiding you, it's the wisdom of God. He becomes righteousness. He becomes sanctification. He becomes the redemption inside of you. Just like this blind guy. Look at this blind guy's theology. He didn't even know if Jesus was a sinner. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I do not know. But then all of a sudden, now he believes, and boom, what happens in his heart? I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad to desire knowledge. It's good to desire knowledge. It's not a bad thing at all. It's good. I mean, I desire all of us to desire knowledge. But it's not the greatest gift. It's not the greatest gift. Love is the greatest gift. Nevertheless, these things are true. When the Lord becomes your wisdom, your righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, just as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. You see? In verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. Whoa! For judgment I have come into this world. Whoa, that's hardcore. Remember, it's to divide what we read in... in uh, 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 in 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 Luke, uh, chapter twelve, in verse fifty-one, do you suppose that I came to bring peace? I tell you, not at all. Rather, division. 
You see, he says here in verse 39 of John 9, he says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? You see, pompous and arrogant, learned men, so-called learned. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. You see? You see what's happening here? Rings true the words of Paul, what we looked at in, in, in for what we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and not just the, the entire chapter, which aligns perfectly with what the Lord is teaching. You see, the same spirit, the same spirit is Jesus Christ in Paul, the Holy Spirit in Paul. And the Holy Spirit says, Paul, those in the household of Chloe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they saw something wrong, they let you know. Now, the same Spirit of the Lord, which was in the same Spirit of those in the house of Chloe, is saying to Paul, Hey, Paul, because you were non-carnal, and you know, uh, non-carnal, you uh, uh, fix, you, you, uh, just what we read in uh, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are non-carnal, restore such a one in a spirit of gentle, gentleness. And that's what Paul is doing. Everything aligns. Everything aligns. One spirit, one Lord, one mind. It's not crazy. It's not Paul saying, okay, church, there's a little bit of carnality in you, so let's go grave soaking. No way. That does not align with scripture. It's Paul. One spirit, one mind. Sound doctrine. You see? In verse 41 here in John 9, Jesus says to them, he says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. There is only one who takes away sin. Only one. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. If you're a non-believer, receive him as your Lord. If you're playing games with the Lord, repent and recommit your life to him. Because he is the only one who takes away sin. And he died on a cross. He died on a cross for you. In obedience to the Father. For you. Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to end our study here. And pick up in uh, chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. Next week. And you're going to see Paul is going to continue teaching them. Yes, they're saints, but he's going to continue teaching them about denial of self. Denial of self, which is the pathway to maturity in Christ. Denial of self. Because it's the meek which shall inherit the earth. God bless you guys. I love you guys.